0: The
1: Rada Dongo. Rada Dongo, Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Be the Church podcast, where we are engaging in conversations that will encourage you to live out your faith in everyday context, so that you can be the church. I'm your producer, Isaiah Fetterman.
2: I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Anderson, and
1: I'm your other host, David Dominguez. And we are, as we have been for several weeks now, continuing through our series in the book. By weeks? You mean months? Oh, did, yeah, yeah. Weeks, months. It's <laughs> been a while. It, we're we're, we're going through it. Uh, it's about every two week, uh, every two weeks. That's about That's as often song. as we've been doing it. So, <laughs> Is that stained? Oh, uh, we are off the rails already. Already off the rails. Why but did I we think know it was Nickelback?
2: Because it's like one of those songs that you make fun of, and Nickelback gets made fun of a lot. So, <laughs> right? I don't know. I mean, kind of like all of that, like fake grunge music during that time period was kind of like they all kind of sounded the same. I mean, so kind of like, like Nickelback. You do you, bro.
1: Please edit us you out. <laughs> I—it's not getting edited out. It's staying in. But I have no opinion about music, um, so except that most of it's good. Mm. But on that note, we are not talking about music in this podcast. No, we're not. Mostly, anyways. Uh, um, we are going through the book Gentle and Lowly. If you would like to follow along, uh, we have the book for free. We've got plenty of copies for you guys. Just. Uh, feel free to email us at podcast at com, and please include your address so that we actually know where we're sending it. Uh, and we will send that to you free of charge. It is our gift to you. We have been deeply impacted by this book and we would love to give it to you as a gift. Um, and if you are curious as to the questions we're going through, feel free to email us as well. There's also a link in the description for the questions, uh, like booklet thing. So yeah, um, with that... Um, we always like to do a quick overview to help those who are jumping in in the middle uh, with some overview questions. So, Kevin, what is gentle and lowly about?
2: You know, this book is really, at the end of the day, uh, trying to help kind of reorient um, our mindset to understanding who who Jesus really is, what what it what what His heart is for, um, how how He approaches us. Um and to to encourage us um maybe to understand that no matter how mad we've messed up, God is 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 most ready to show mercy and grant repentance mm.
1: to us. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. the other question we really like to hit on is why are we going through this book? So uh, Kevin did a great job explaining what it is. And with that, we really want to take those ideas that we're learning and see this heart of God and not just know it, but experience it and live it out. So taking the head and bringing it to the heart, basically. Yeah. And so as you guys listen, like, please enjoy the intellectual nature of some of this. But at the end of the day, What does it look like for us to take these ideas and live it out and experience it and apply it? And like, by all means, like this is very challenging sometimes, but it is so freeing. It is so life giving to really see the heart of Christ come alive, uh, not just in our head, but in our hearts as we seek to build this relationship with Christ. And so this is why we go through this book is because it is a very heart-centered book that really challenges our perception and pushes us to a deeper, more uh, life-giving relationship with Christ. So, David, as we think through the point of this book then, and and we're going to the specific chapter, chapter 18, uh, what's a quick overview of chapter 18?
0: Yeah, so chapter 18, much like most of the chapters in this book is, (laughs) is looking to like shatter our misconception about God. Right. And specifically our, our small thoughts of God's heart. And it, it's trying to remind us that his heart, God's heart is yearning for his people with a yearning love that should comfort us even in the midst of our failures.
1: Absolutely. So, As with these last couple chapters that we've seen uh, in the past few podcasts, in these past few chapters, we have been sitting in the Old Testament then, you know? So like, as we're going to hit on this idea that you just mentioned, uh, the book takes us to Jeremiah. Now, given the thrust of the first 29 chapters of Jeremiah, uh, it's pretty, pretty rough, uh, one might say. Uh, what would you expect to find in chapters 30 through 33 as God gives his first, or sorry, gives his response to the first 29 chapters? What do we in fact discover?
0: Yeah. So Dane kind of makes this point that in the first 29 chapters of the book of Jeremiah, it is a painting of Israel's sinfulness. It's like, it's like depicting, um, Israel and, and their failure. Right. So, um, how they're being judged for all of their evils, how they had forsaken God, how they had polluted the land, um, how they had filled, uh, they, they were filled with wicked thoughts, right? How they were stubborn and rebellious people and and just like repeatedly making this very clear, like why they were in exile, like why they were in the situation they were in. And so... Naturally, right, after we get this rap sheet, what we expect in chapters 30 to 33 is just like more severe judgment and punishment coming to them, right? But instead, we find a section of surprise. He calls it like surprised by comfort. right? Like this this section of Scripture is actually a a comfort to God's people. And uh, Dane puts it this way. He says, he has pulled them into his heart and they cannot sin their way out of it. So after we get this whole list of Israel's downfalls and sin, we then get these chapters that remind us that 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 God not only cares for them, but actually desires and yearns to, to bring his people toward, back towards him. Um,
2: so yeah yeah you know it's been fascinating. I'm at the part of my Bible reading plan for the year where you read some of second chronicles or, or first or second kings and you get a, a taste of like six bad kings and one good one. And even when you see like a good king in Judah, it always like yeah he 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 followed after such and such a king and he he loved the Lord but he did not pull down the high places and so mm. like the people of Judah were still doing things they weren't supposed to do, but then then you go and read the particular prophets, both the minor prophets and the major prophets, like within the timeline of when this was occurring in the nation of Israel, and so I and, you know I've read Amos recently, I've read Hosea, I'm currently in in the midst of Isaiah. And there's like kind of this consistent theme that God has with each one of these prophets, which is, okay, like punishment is coming. Mm -hmm. There is consequences for the level of rebellion and wickedness that you've participated in and you, you, you've run after what you're doing. But there's always in every single, in every single one of these prophetic books as as I've been going back through them again, is this reminder that like, there's going to be a faithful remnant. God's posture is towards those that are repentant, that he's going to be with the righteous. And I think when we get back here to to Jeremiah too, like I love the language that we see Jeremiah use uh, to Israel here, right? Like, you know, those first 29 chapters are brutal. I don't know if, 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 if you're listening to this and you've never read those before, like put it on your to-do list in the next like, you know, like couple of weeks just, just to like, even if it's just kind of like, Skim through it quickly, not let it soak but it. Like it's it's harsh. And mm-hmm. so you, you think like God is furious and he is. And yet you see him say things like, I do remember him still, when referring to Israel and that I will not forsake him. Like reminding Israel this is not the end of their covenant relationship, even though they've done everything that they could do to end it. It's not over, right? He says things like, my heart yearn- yearns for them, and we're going to get into this more in just a minute, but like, it, it means he desires to be in communion with them even as they're rejecting him and ignoring the Mosaic covenant, right? And then, and then he says things like, I will have mercy, mm-hmm. right? There's this like promise of grace at the end of the day that will come to them. And I think it's just such an important and helpful reminder for us, thousands of years after this moment in human history where this was being recorded, right? To be to to know and understand, like, hey, our God is gracious and loving. Mm-hmm. Because we all face things in life that point our warts and our 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 dark areas of our heart out to us fully. And then we start really questioning ourselves of like, you know, could God really love me? Mm. And if it was based upon our performance, just like if it had been based upon Israel or Judah's performance, the answer would have been no. But because of God's heart and posture towards them, we see this pattern of he still desires to be in communion with us. Right? He still remembers the promise he's made to us if you're in Christ. He still right, promises to give greater grace to us. I think it's just so important for us to remember this on a on a regular basis as it drives our heart to worship him more.
1: Yeah. Truly. And you know, I you pointed out a part that we're really going to start to get into but uh just that his heart yearns for him, you know, and and speaking of Israel who's labeled Ephraim um, so the book specifically is gonna, or in this chapter is specifically going to point us to Jeremiah thirty-one twenty. I'm going to read that for us, and keep in mind as uh, we see the name Ephraim, it is a, a reference to Israel uh, themselves. So it says, "Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart." Yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. So, David, what is the exact Hebrew word for heart as used here? And how would you put it into your own words what we are being told about who God is?
0: Yeah, so I'm, I'm by no means a Hebrew scholar, so ignore the pronunciation. But That's okay. I, I do think the point that Dane makes in the book is is worth talking about and, and is what you're referring to, is that the usual word used for heart is L-E-V. It's pronounced lave or lave. I don't, I don't know exactly um, in the Hebrew. But in this specific verse, the word used is meah, M-E-A-H. Which literally refers to like the insides of a person, right? So like like what we would probably call nowadays like guts or like we we actually use that phrase or like your insides, yeah. Um, and so some even translate this verse as as bowels, right? And so what 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 I think Dane is trying to get us to understand is that when this verse is talking about that his heart yearns for us is it's referring to his innermost like core being or reflex like at his core god yearns for his people and this is kind of just echoing and clearing up a lot of what kevin was saying right like even in the midst of their uh, rebellion even in the midst of their sin it doesn't mean that god is is going to be unjust or not enact judgment or punishment but it, it it does remind us that even in the midst of that, his yearning, his core desire is to bring his people back to him. And so, yeah, I, I don't know if you wanted to add anything to
2: that. Yeah, I just, I think like, I think about this maybe like on a more practical level, right? Because, I mean, if we're saying like, yeah, okay, his deep desire, I, I think maybe like it might be helpful as you're listening to think about like, if you've ever been, like, romantically involved with somebody or, like, love for somebody just like the, like, I, I think about it, like, in terms of, I'm, I'm a pretty selfish person. I, I know that the two of you guys know I think that we all are. pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, to an extent, but I think you guys, like, know me well enough to know kind of, like, how I operate. It's kind of, sure. like, it, the, the, the social awareness scale is pretty low, you know, <laughs> like, it's always funny because people be like, I think you have a gift of evangelism. I was like, I think I just have, like, lack of awareness of social norms and so that allows me to overcome many of the things that make evangelism difficult mm, in the yes days. <laughs> yeah but like it's funny you know i've, I've been married for 13 years now i've got, got two kids and you know like life is pretty rhythmic for us for the most part mm-hmm. and um I'm usually tired at the end of every day. I've got a lot of responsibilities. And so like whenever my wife travels and like she specifically travels with the kids and like I'm a bachelor again, the first like 24 to 48 hours, I'm always like, this is pretty sweet. Like no responsibilities. Like this is chill. And then like after the end of those 48 hours, I'm always over it. And like there's this like internal kind of feeling that I can't really describe where it's just like, I want my wife. Like even this past um, spring when we went uh, on the mission trip to Columbia, uh, we had our Sabbath day. We always make that a part of our our, our mission trips, you know, because we, we take that seriously and we, we get after it while we're down there. And so we were at this place. It's pretty and like everyone's having a good time. And I'm just like, yeah, I wish my wife was here. Right? Like like here I am like standing on this like beautiful kind of like spot in the Southern, you know, s- s- Southern Americas, where <laughs> I don't get to go very often. And all I can think about is like, yeah, I want my wife here. I think like that, that's the type of thing that like the, the Hebrews trying to communicate here is it's like it, it's, it's, it's something that's like that swell wells up deep inside of you, like a, a a desirous thing. And I know it gets dangerous when we start talking about this, right? Because we, you know, it's like, the Greek has the different words for love, right? Like eros and agapao, right? And Phileo, right? We're talking about, you know, we always need to differentiate between those. But there is like a beauty towards that that eros love in in the New Testament too, right? There where there's this deep desirous attraction towards something. And, you know, in the same way that you might have it, a desirous attraction for a spouse or whatever, like what we're seeing here is like God's deepest desire is to be in communion with his people, even in the midst of their rebellion and their struggle. Like, yes, there needs to be discipline. Yes, there needs to be correction. Yes, his justice must be upheld. And still, he does not desire to be done with them. He wants them to repent, right, and come back to him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you guys uh, bring up great thought into that. And so as this chapter meditates on this idea of God yearning for his people, when we think about ourselves then, you know, do you think of God as yearning for you? What does this do for you as you ponder this truth? I
2: think the way I interpreted this was this this idea of God being restless for my good. Like like his definition of my good, not my own. I think it's just, you know, if you pause and, and think about that, it's beautiful to think that God cares more about my good than I do. Yeah. And the God of the universe who doesn't sleep and wants for nothing, right, won't give up pursuing that for me. I think I think that that is where I took that. And I found it like a deep comfort there of like God is all satisfying and worth following because he he is after my own good even more than I am.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's good. I I think. With like with like a lot of these questions, I'm like, I probably don't think about that enough. Mm. Um, e- Even even like that that mentality of of understanding like what you just said that like God actually like cares not just for my good but that his good like hit he cares about my actual good not just what I deem to be my good all the time um that's just like not something that I think about probably enough too too often I'm like Oh, if it's, if it's something that I know God doesn't want for my life, I'm, I'm more focused on, Oh, that, that thwarts my plans or what I, I think I should be getting or what I think, you know, the example I always give is like, you know, I had like very set plans for grad school. God laughed and sent me to a completely different, different school. And at the, in the moment I was like, like this, like, I'm doing everything you want me to do here in games' so like why are you sending me away? this makes no sense to me and now looking back I'm like yeah he clearly had like the gr- the greatest good intended for me like a year and a half that I spent away from here that was probably as formative as the ten previous years that I had spent here and so you know it, it's moments like that where you like you start to like realize like oh man like i I need to like constantly remind myself of this, especially when the responses to my prayers are no or you need to wait which if you know me you know how much i love to wait um but but yeah that, that he continually demonstrates that in my life even when i am like actively desiring the opposite yeah right like like I i'm spending like days and hours praying and saying like please let me get to this grad into this grad school like I, this clearly has to be and he's like no like I, I literally know what's actually best for you and so I'm gonna gently send you somewhere else right and so you know I think the the more that I'm reminded of that um, I, I think it frees me up to just come to him freely right and and still like pray and request and speak to him with my you know with my desires and what i think are 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 the godly plans for my life but at the same time be be open to like you know his his plans can very well be different and that's a good thing cuz cause, cause what he wants is what's actually good for me so definitely something that i feel like i need to be constantly reminded of
1: yeah, absolutely. And as we continue to press into this idea of yearning, yeah, I think there can be a struggle and a strain for people to see their sin as like negating that from them. But there's this really great quote uh, by Thomas Goodwin on page 167. I'm going to read that for us, and then we're going to process through it a little bit. So <clears throat> here we go. There is comfort concerning such infirmities in that your very sins move him to pity more than to anger. Christ takes part with you and is far from being provoked against you as all his anger is turned upon your sin to ruin it. Yea, his pity is increased the more towards you even as the heart of a father is to a child that has some loathsome disease or as one is to a member of his body that has leprosy. He hates not the member, for it is his flesh, but the disease, and that provokes him to pity the part affected the more. What shall not make for us when our sins, that are both against Christ and us, shall be turned as motives to him to pity us the more? So what is the point of this statement, and, and how would you put it into your own words?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of really, really good, good stuff in just that yeah. small quotation. So if you don't have this book, please get it just so you can read page 167. Or email us and we'll um, send it to you. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll send it. Um, but one of the biggest things that I drew from that quote is that sin is not just our enemy, but it is Christ's enemy as well. So like when we sin, Jesus is not only look. He's not seeing us as the sin. He is very much in the same, in the same vantage point as us seeing sin as the enemy that needs to be defeated, and so obviously that that applies and 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 I love the example that that he gives there um, with just like disease and within your body and how you can like be very upset to the point of hating a said condition and that doesn't mean you necessarily are upset or hate your body um, but so ultimately our sin moves Jesus to pity more than anger and like when I read that like it it's something that makes so much sense when Goodwin like explains it that way but I don't think that's practically how i think of sin most of the time when i'm thinking of sin i'm like oh this is now who i am this is what like jesus is just like the like the judgment and 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 this like posture of like oh i the enemy is now david right which ultimately like judgment is coming because Mm -hmm. of because of my Mm -hmm. sin right but in reality even even in that position we realize, like, he's judging sin because he needs to defeat sin in order to deliver us to our greater good, yes. right? So, like, even in the midst of that, it, it's so comforting to, like, realize we're not at odds, we're not fighting Christ with our sin. We are fighting our sin with Christ, if that makes
2: sense. it's good. Yeah. Yeah, that line are our, our, our very sin moves Jesus to pity more than into anger I think is so so important the the illustration that that Goodwin shares there about the the father and the, the the son and the anger at the son's illness but not at the son just really really struck me because as you guys know my my youngest son has epilepsy and we've spent a lot of the time in, in the hospital over the years with him and it, it affects our entire family there there are things we there are things we have to do and decisions we have to make as a family that are affected because of his condition. And never once have I been mad at him. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm.
2: I hate the I hate the condition, but I'm not, I'm not mad at him. And when I think about this idea of, of God's pity towards us because of our sin, I think like it was really helpful for me to hear that because I was able to, to like relate it to the way that I feel about my kid. Like, I I do pity my son because he has to walk a a very sometimes difficult road. But my pity towards him is not like some, like, like, I feel sorry for you. Like, no, like it causes me to like approach him differently. It causes me to be, you know, I, I think one of like the primary things the Lord has done in my own heart is like just soften me and make me more patient and long suffering and gracious and empathetic. And it's also encouraged me to serve him and try to help him in any way that he might need as he tries to overcome some of these various disabilities that might crop up because of his condition. And I, I think about it in the, in the same way. It's like that, that's exactly what God has done for us in Christ. Right? Like he pitied us and then he came and he served us. Right. Like his pity moved him to action, not to like sit there and be like, you know, like sometimes we do, like you'll hear like bad news about somebody. You're like, oh man. And like you might even like genuinely feel like internally bad for them, but it doesn't cause you to move. It might cause you to like pray for them. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is, which is important. Right. But it doesn't like necessarily cause like any movement. Like the movement of God's heart is like one of action to like rescue, redeem, forgive, show grace, encourage call to repentance like it's just beautiful
1: yeah absolutely and it's definitely such a great example to see like a father towards his son and uh so often how quickly we can fall into shame and just feel like we are so unworthy of receiving that love but it is uh very clearly you know like as you put that pity towards us and our struggles and the, the anger is towards the sin as opposed to the, yeah. the, the sinner as we struggle through that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, so far, like, there's a lot of really deep and impactful ideas here in this chapter, um, which can be so freeing. But on our side of things, as, I was, as we've just been talking about, have we considered, have you guys considered the possibility that one of the most grievous errors in your life— is deflecting rather than letting in, as he would term it, the oceanic love of God. Do you feel reluctant to let him love you? Why or why not? So This is one of those questions where I was just like, huh? <laughs> <laughs>
2: you know, uh, uh, like how does one define the oceanic love of God? Like, this is Dane being very Dane, I think, like at, the, at this point. Mm-hmm. Very nice. poetic.
1: It's vast. <laughs> there you go.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think like my, my answer to this ultimately would be, and maybe this will be an encouragement to someone listening or not, I think these types of things come and go in seasons. I think they're going to be seasons where you deflect and you try to operate on your own power. And then I think they're going to be seasons where you are fully kind of recognizing or experiencing the love of God and oftentimes those usually come on the back end of suffering, maybe even self-inflicted suffering, but maybe, maybe the encouragement I take away from all of this is God's posture doesn't change whether I'm deflecting or not. Mm -hmm. Like he, he, his posture is still the posture of desirous towards me and, and, and for my good. And, and so that that's, that's a great encouragement because I just know like I've been a, I've been a follower of Jesus now for over 16 years and it's encouraging to know that it, whether I'm in one of those seasons where like I'm deeply trusting him or I'm in one of those seasons where I'm deflecting and operating in my own power, it doesn't affect God's posture towards me.
0: Yeah, I feel like with this question, like my reluctance to either accept it or just my I guess natural inclination to deflect it um comes more from the fact that I mean what you were just describing like that's just so foreign yeah. to what we're used to, right? And we've 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 talked about this a lot, especially with like paternal language, right? A lot a lot of maybe of those of us who are, are of those of you who are listening or um just people who read this book might see the examples of like a father and naturally think like that's just not how my father loved me right or that's not how my father approached me right so when we when we're going through these questions and we're saying like well what would you expect God to do in chapter 30 to 33 after what we just read in chapter 29 we're like He'd probably do what my dad would do, which is X, Y, and Z, right? Like not provide comfort and promise forgiveness and promise redemption and promise his his yearning desire to have communion again with his with his people, right? Yeah. And so my my natural and and even even with this with our last discussion re, re, regarding you know the the father and view of like the son's con that you were, that you were explaining like the, with the son's condition and like being against that, but like not at any point, like hating your son for being sick. Right. Um, but, but at the same time, like that's just not what my natural inclination is when I think of my sin, right? Yeah. Like most of the time I'm like, Oh my gosh, like Jesus is against me instead of realizing like, no, Jesus is with me against my sin. Like, like he, he's not going to change like he's like you said he's not magically going to be like well I'm going to become complacent with your sin the same way you have become like no that's that's not what he's going to do but he at no point is not at our side fighting and battling sin along alongside us and so like I said it's it's definitely I would say like that's where my reluctance comes from um and I think that's why this this chapter and this word is like so powerful because i i don't think i definitely don't think anyone who hasn't experienced God's love has like 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 i think we're just starving for this like this is this is this is the type of stuff that when we read scripture like refer to itself as like a like a balm like 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 it's It's like that refreshing, refreshing water on a hot summer day or like AC when you walk out of like hot, a hot Florida walk and you're just like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what this type of love is to, to a sinful, broken world where we just don't experience this. And so I I think the, the, the kind of like to wrap it all together, the connect that Dane is wanting us to see is like like Kevin was saying, like this has been God's core posture since the Old Testament. We see this played out physically in the person of Jesus Christ, and I think as believers we have a distinct opportunity to, in seasons of life, right? Like there's gonna be times where we need people to demonstrate and and be this type of godly love that yearns and is steadfast and that isn't uh, tied to our loveliness. We get to be that for each other and for a world that is just devoid of this type of love
2: what would you guys say if there's someone out there like listening right now who's like hearing all this and they're saying like okay i'm starving for that love from god i I want that kind of love from god but i'm not feeling it i'm not experiencing it how can how can you guys sit here and say how can the author say all these things and yet i don't feel or experience or know that what 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 would you say to that person?
1: It's, it's, you know, again, going back to the whole reason why we're going through this book is we really want to go from a head knowledge to a, a heart like experience. And so I don't think there's like some profound aha thing you do in like a moment where you're like, wow, everything's just magically better. And it's, It's a a relationship, you know, it's something you, uh, experience through just talking to him and being open. And I think there is a beauty to taking this head knowledge and like learning these realities and truths. Like the Lord yearns for you, like he yearns for you and he loves you as a father loves his son, as a doctor wants to heal someone in their sickness, in our case, in our sin, like he desperately wants you and like it's not complicated. It's not hard. You don't have to like jump over hurdles. Just go to him and just be like, Father. Like, I hear this. I, I I'm trying to understand this. Like, would you just allow me to experience this love that I hear of, that I see in your word, that is so true, and like, help me let go of my inhibitions about this and know that you are there to love me mm. you accept me uh, even despite my sinfulness and want to cleanse me from that and it's just like like i don't want to say there's like an overly complicated way to do it because there isn't you know it's it's a simple just going to him and acknowledging that yeah we suck but he loves us so much beyond that and even with that he longs to be with us longs to care for us in the midst of that Mm. and just like being honest and going before him like if you're out there and you're holding on to stuff like you're holding back like it doesn't matter what it is like he is there to help work through that uh in our lives and to free us from the burdens like (laughs) the very heart of this book you know like come those who are heavy laden like and find rest uh in me and i think like that's such a true statement it's come to god And you can find rest in him.
0: And I think just a couple of practical things that came to my mind as Isaiah was like fleshing this out. You know, I thought of your example of being out on the beach and you're like, I want my wife here, right? Like, it's Mm -hmm. like, if you were asking me, like, what can I do to like experience like the love and the person that is Jackie, I'd be like, well, Kevin, this is the first thing you're gonna wanna do. You're gonna wanna buy a plane ticket, you wanna go back to the States, and you're gonna wanna be with her right and so, in the same way when we're like thinking all all of this is like, how can I experience God's love like how can I experience his presence and it's you find ways to be with him, right whether that is you know like hearing from him through his word in prayer like you highlighted a lot of these things and we we know that the church is his body, right and so you you this is where community is such a, a an important piece of the christian life right like find a good church and a good group of believers who love this way because they have been loved this way by god right like it and and fill your your circle and and your surround because like you said there's going to be seasons where you're like i'm probably not portraying this very well to the people around me and that's when i need them to like pick me up And remind me that this is what we're called to do. And there's going to be seasons where you're going to get to do that for other people. So if if that's what you're you're desiring right now, you're I I would say your heart's in the right place. Like seek seek God out where where He is. Right? Like not you're not just mad. Like you said, not going to magically just be like, oh, just this is the magic formula. Um, But 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 those are some practical practical ways that I think could be helpful for someone.
2: I think think the way that Dane finishes the chapter might might encourage us as well. He says, On the cross, we see what God did to satisfy his yearning for us. He went that far. He went all the way. The blushing effusiveness of heaven's bowels funneled down into the crucifixion of Christ. Repent of your small thoughts of God's heart. Repent and let him love you. Mm-hmm. I think if I were to answer my own question, I might encourage myself even. Right, to think like when, I, when I'm feeling like God's far off or maybe doesn't love me, am I equating God's love with some circumstantial issue? Thing in my life. Or am I filtering that through the cross? Because when I reflect on the cross, right, and I think what David was saying earlier about the importance of being in gospel community and, and being pointed back to that, it's really hard for me to mm. play mental games with myself and like question God's love for me because I'm like, yeah. Like there's greater love has no no other than this, that one lay down his life for another, Right. I think right, as we reflect on these precious truths and, and knowing, like, there's no one on this planet who is is always 100% just allowing the lo- love of God to just rush into their heart, right, and not deflecting that oceanic love, right, from that question or whatever it may be, right? But when we are, right, and then we might be feeling spiritually dry or whatever else, right, right, we repent, we look to the cross we look at the magnitude of god's love and then we run towards him not away from him and i think so often what i see in people that are like wrestling with the, kind of this posture is they they claim to feel like a lack of god's presence but they run as far away from him as possible and then wonder wh- wonder, wonder why he's not there it's like dude he's been there the whole time mm. it's like you've been like running around the room trying to hide in corners and whatever else. like The cross is done. The resurrection is done. There's no more that can be displayed. That is God's posture and heart towards you.
1: Receive it. Amen. I think that's a great way to end uh, this chapter. So with that, um, as always, if you guys have any questions, if this is something you wrestle with, like, Email us at podcast dot com and we would love to continue that conversation process. through that with you and just try to encourage you through that. If you want a book, also email us at podcast dot com. I'll say it a million times until you finally do it and uh, get one because we would love to send one to you. And please include your address. And if you have any questions or even you know, as we are uh, making a pretty good dent in this book and getting near the end in the next couple months. Um, like, we'll need new things to talk about. And if you have ideas, we are open to hear your questions, thoughts, topics, whatever, and would love to uh, go through that uh, as we wrap this up. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you have questions about Nickelback or whatever, like, <laughs> I'm sure David would love to give his opinions uh, more. Um, <laughs> but whatever it may be, we'd love to hear from have, you guys. I have a question about Nickelback. We, uh, you can do it after did the Did you podcast. look at those photographs? <laughs> and when you did, every
2: time, did it make you laugh? It did. Every
1: every (laughs) single last one of the photographs. On that note, um, be sure to like, subscribe, follow, whatever the things people do on social media. (laughs) I'm going to finish out, I promise. Uh, On that note, uh, outside of Nickelback, uh, maybe maybe inside of listening, maybe you have the opportunity to spot, go and be the church. We're gonna use that and see what uh, repercussions we get from that photo. Just, <laughs> There's only like
2: eight people that watch it on YouTube, so I think we'll be just right. like yeah.
1: zoom
0: into the bicep. Well, I use it and then Photoshop. Gentle, I lowly. use
1: this photo on Facebook and Instagram.
0: That should be fantastic. Then that should be on the church's website. I don't, I don't know where, but it needs to be we,
1: we, it is on the church's website. Should right? also
0: be the Monday Night Gospel Community Group <laughs> photo. Yeah. yeah, Kevin, do you have a LinkedIn?
2: I get I get people like trying we need to, to add make me Kevin on there all LinkedIn. the time. It's like, dude, I don't need another social media account. I hate social media. I hate the every time I log into Twitter, I'm I'm mad at myself. Kevin, relax. <laughs> Some people would just use it to apply to jobs.
1: Yeah.